Hey guys, this is Robert Malazzo from Murmur. Before you listen to this episode, a couple of things. Thing one, if you like the show, and I love bringing it to you, it's tons of fun for me. Our audience is awesome. We get great feedback. So here's an idea. Go to the iTunes store, leave us a review. I'm told by really smart people that it helps cut through the sort of signal and noise world we live in for the show. I love bringing this to you every week. So if you have a moment to leave us a review, that would be great. Murmur Radio on the iTunes store. Thank you so much. The other thing is Audible. Do you like listening to your favorite books and podcasts, magazines even, and TV shows? You can listen through audible.com. I love listening to it. So here's an idea. Go to freeaudibletrial.com backslash murmur. And because you listen to murmur, you'll get a free month of Audible. It's super cool. Again, freeaudibletrial.com backslash murmur get a free month of audible but you're going to keep subscribing it's a super cool service i have it i love listening to it in the car with the dog the dog loves audible i kid you not don't ask me how i know i know these things i know the dog he loves them freeaudibletrial.com backslash murmur check it out and thank you for listening to murmur and now quiet on the set quiet on the set quiet on the set scene one take ten marker Studio of WHUPLP Hillsboro. Welcome to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo, and over the next hour together, we'll explore where culture meets craft. Today on Murmur, The Art of Hell, best selling author, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist for The Washington Post, David Finkel is with us. Welcome. Murmur. Welcome back to Murmur. Robert Malazzo here with you. I'm the founder of the Modern School of Film. With you every week, whupfm.org. Also, you can download us anytime. iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. How do I know? I just know. I also know we have a website, murmurradio.com. I also know we have social handles at msfmurmur, at MSF Murmur, Google. Oh, no, Google? I said Google. No more Google. Uh, that is uh, Instagram. <laughs> Instagram, Twitter, Facebook is Facebook, murmurradio.com. Send us an email. If you go to our website, you will see that you can send us a topic that you'd like to you'd like me to explore on the show. If you murmur me a topic, I will find a guest and match it. So go to murmurradio.com. 
Welcome back to Murmur. Today on the show, a couple of firsts. You know, I have a lot of guests who might, one might call a genius. They may call themselves geniuses, genius I, genius A, genius E, genies, genies. That's a good one. Multiple geniuses is a genie. Uh, but today we actually have a genius, uh, David Finkel, who is a journalist and an author and a genius. He won the MacArthur Grant, which is a $500,000 award for being for doing genius work. Uh, and that's $500,000, interestingly enough, spread over five years. He's also, I don't know why that's interesting to me. It's like Powerball. Maybe there's too much Powerball in the world right now. Uh, he also wrote two books, The Good Soldiers, uh, which was an accounting of him being embedded in Afghanistan for eight months. And then he wrote the follow-up called Thank You for Your Service. Thank You for Your Service was a continuation as he followed those men, the men he observed and documented in his book. He followed them as they came back to civilian life in the U.S. Two must-read books. He is also a Pulitzer Prize winner. That's another first. I don't think I've spoken to or with a Pulitzer Prize winner. So that's a lot of fun. David's going to be with us. I wanted to have David on the show. His second book, the second part of, of this dialogue following these soldiers, and there may be other parts forthcoming, The Good Soldier uh, was part one. Part two is Thank You for Your Service. It's being made into a film. It's be, it has been made, and it will be released soon. Um, so I wanted, I thought all these dots, let me connect them. And I wanted to talk to, to David as we will today. David actually is going to be in the Washington, he's a Washington Post staff writer. He will be in their recording studio. So what's cool is he will sound right next to me. Uh, that'll be another first. I wanted to speak with David about war art from my from my background being a film background, I wanted to speak with him about the connectivities between seeing war as art and what it was, what it's like to experience it. Now, every war is different. You know, I want to try to take as much of the obviousness out of this, knowing that every war is different, every time is different, every age and generation is different, uh, every form of military. Uh, activity in 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 wars is unique so we'll we'll judge it from his, his perspective but it, it frankly is an, yet another reason to look at war films and his tradition being a, a liter, literary tradition but we'll marry the two because it's they're being married for him thank you for your service i'm interested in war because i love movies that have war in them now we're going to throw this big top line description war movie. What is a war movie? Okay. Th I will ask him and I'm not going to define it right now. I'm just, I want to look at it in, in, in as with as much dimension as possible. I always find when I watch a film, whether it takes place in a battle, whether there's a character who's a soldier and we never see the battle where mil military is referenced or there's military around the core narrative, 
I, I always find, despite how one would describe what a war film is or define what a war film is, I always find them when, when that kind of imagery is in front of me cinematically, I can't help but reference all of the elements that war inspires at that moment. To clarify or to compare, if I see a film and let's say one of the, let's say I'm watching a movie and the movie is about a family and one of the family members is a criminal, let's say, and it's obvious. I don't think that makes the film a crime film if we never see a crime committed, but there's something about seeing that the imagery of war and military and hearing about it in art again, starting with film and we'll branch into literature when we bring in David and TV. TV has its own unique relationship to war. There's something about that that is so evocative. It's so evocative because it does challenge those areas of our life. You know, war, there's so many repercussions. War, the repercussion is felt in family. It's felt in vocation. It's felt in, in crime you know, war crimes, patriotism, uh, cultures commingling, travel, food, you know, all, it, it's one of the, 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 the nucleuses that really gathers all the influences, and film is a fascinating display of that. So if you think of The Godfather, Godfather, what do we learn in the first, 15 minutes of The Godfather or so. Al Pacino just came back from the war. Now, is The Godfather a war film? Well, it's about a crime family. And that idea of Michael Corleone coming back from war is actually the last scene of part two. Not to spoil it if you haven't seen Godfather 1 or 2, but if you haven't seen it, I, uh, you know, I'm a little speechless anyway. But <laughs> so, you know, is that a war film? I don't want to obsess on what is a war film because we could be here all day and we don't have more than an hour with, uh, less than an hour with David, but I, I want to look at it from a unique perspective. I was pouring over some filmmaker quotes about war. Sam Fuller, one of my favorite filmmakers, and his, uh, his wife Krista, his widow Krista, has always been a great supporter of me and my work, but that's a story for another day. Sam defined war film thusly quote a war film's objective no matter how personal or emotional is to make a viewer feel war so that's kind of what I want to talk to David about is the experience of watching a war movie or reading a piece of literature less so from in this conversation but watching a war film is that experience reflective of war and that's really the the, the basic input into the conversation with David today. David has seen war. So I'm really interested in his perspective. He's written eloquently about war. But from my sort of specific set of eyes, I want to know about his understanding of film in that way because I find film is such a wonderfully charismatic way to war films war seen in a screen in a cinema it just moves me to no end and in so many different ways it makes me 
feel hate as well as love. It makes me feel fear as well as joy. So all the range of emotion that I feel, and we could talk about that a little bit maybe after the talk or within the talk, but that's why I think this idea of war is a genre piece to talk about. We'll scratch the surface today, but it is a topic I've always wanted to explore. Today on Murmur, David Finkel, a man who literally was physically in Afghanistan writing about it. Um, today we'll talk to him about film. We'll see what, how much TV we can cover. I mean, TV has a unique relationship. There have been a lot of great TV war works. More so of a non-fictional nature. It's funny, uh, Ken Burns' The Civil War, is still it's still the most watched documentary in the history of PBS. So I think people digest war content on TV more so in a, almost like a History Channel way. Although there have been some great contributions to the genre. We'll try to touch on those as time allows. David Finkel today, The Art of War. Now this. My, my film is not a movie. My film is not uh, about Vietnam. It is Vietnam. It's what it was really like. It was crazy. And the way we made it was very much like the way the Americans were in Vietnam. We were in the jungle. There were too many of us. We had access to too many, uh, too much money. Too much equipment. And little by little, we went insane. You ready? Turn over. Way City Interviews, roll 34. Well, like like you see, you know, it's a major city, so we have to assault with uh, tanks. We roll in, roll in the streets, so uh, they send us in first the squad. Make sure that there are no, uh, no little... Uh, no Vietnamese waiting for B-40 rockets to blow the tanks away, so we clear it out and we roll the tanks in, basically blow the place to hell. When we're in White City, it's like a war, you know. Like what, what, what I thought, what I thought about a war, what I thought a war was supposed, you know, was supposed to be. Uh, there's the enemy, kill him. Well, I don't think there's any question about it. I mean, we're the best. I mean, all that bullshit about the air cav. When the shit really hits the fan, who do they call? They call Mother Green and her killing machine. Do I think America belongs in Vietnam? Um, I don't know. I belong in Vietnam. I'll tell you that. Can I quote LBJ? I will not send American boys eight or 10,000 miles around the world to do a job that Asian boys ought to be doing for themselves. <laughs> personally think uh, they don't really want to be involved in this war, you know, I mean, like they, they, it's sort of like they took away our freedom and gave it to the to the gookers, you know, they don't want it. They'd rather be alive than free, I guess, you know, poor dumb bastards. <laughs> well, the ones I'm, I'm fighting at are some pretty, pretty bad boys. I'm not real, uh, I'm not real keen on some of these fellows that are supposedly on our side, I keep meeting them coming the other way. Yeah. 
I mean, we're getting killed for these people and they don't even appreciate it. They think it's a big joke. Well, if you ask me, uh, we're shooting the wrong gooks. Well, it depends on the situation. I mean, I'm, I'm here to take combat photos. But if the shit gets too thick, I mean, I'll go to the rifle. What do I think about America's involvement in the war? Well, I think we should win. I hate Vietnam. There's not one horse in this whole country. They don't have one horse in Vietnam. There's something basically wrong with that. <laughs> well, if they'd send us more guys, maybe, and bomb the, bomb the hell out of the north, they might, uh, they might give up. I wanted to see exotic Vietnam, the jewel of Southeast Asia. I, uh, I wanted to meet interesting and stimulating people of an ancient culture and kill them. I wanted to be the first kid on my block to get a confirmed kill. Generals gathered in their masses Just like witches at black masses Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction in the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Oh, larger! Wow, where, does, where do the years go? Uh, Full Metal Jacket is released. And on the poster, one of my favorite pieces of film advertising, it says, in Vietnam, the wind doesn't blow, it sucks. It was st stuck with me. I just thought that kind of nailed whatever needed to be nailed about that movie. Uh, someone who knows something about being sucked into uh, jungles and countries and wars and, and arts and literature is, is today's guests. We often have guests that think they're geniuses and would introduce themselves as a genius, but today we actually have a genius, an official genius and Pulitzer Prize winner uh, and Washington Post writer, author. One of his progenies, thank you for your service, going to be made into a movie. I've been waiting guests and guests to say the following. Joining us live from Washington, D.C., please welcome to Murmur Radio, Mr. David Finkel. David, welcome to the show, man. Hi, Rob. Thanks very much. I ask myself this this question a lot. What is a war film? Uh, I think we all kind of define it uniquely, perhaps. How do you define a war film? What What is a war film? Yeah, so I should defer to you on this because you know much more 
about film than I do. Here's what I know about film. I go to, I go to a lot of movies. I learned a lot about the kind of writing I do from watching movies. And now I've watched the filming of a movie that was uh, based on a book I did. And it is, I just saw a screening the other day. It's a great movie. Is it my book? No, of course not. It's different from my book. It's, it's, I sold the creative rights to it. So it's a creative interpretation. Here's where it gets a little weird to think about. There was a war and I went to this war and I stayed a long time at that war so I could write a book that was a, a defensible piece of nonfiction. And now a war that became a piece of nonfiction has been recreated into a fictional movie. So what is a good war movie? To me, uh, it's one that tries as hard as possible not to be sentimental, not to be gooey, not to be romantic, uh, but, but instead does its best to, I guess, get at the uh, kind of raw truth of, of, of what's actually occurring, not just on the battlefield, but in the, uh, more intimately in the minds of the people on that battlefield. You know, reluctantly, one of my job titles, uh, David, is firm grasper of the obvious. So some of these questions, you know, what is a war movie, uh, is that? Because I wonder how much grasping of the obvious is doable. Uh, so let me, let me split well, the first, difference it's good you're talking about the obvious, because at heart I'm a newspaper guy, and that's what we deal in, right? The J word, journalism, that's under assault. That's a different conversation for a different day. So bravo to you on that score. Uh, something like Dr. Strangelove. I was recently in Chicago talking about Dr. Strangelove with Christopher Guest. Is that a war film? Well, it's, it's, is, this is difficult because is, is any war film just a war film or is there something more going on? Uh, uh, I, in, in many ways, I'm more comfortable talking about uh, creations that are books than movies. But there's enough crossover, I think, that 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 I can I can give some kind of reasonable answer to your question. Is is you know so so forgive me for 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 stammering a bit. But to me, a war movie isn't a movie about war. It's a it's it's a movie that uses war to to look into something uh, maybe more soulful and again to to repeat a word intimate yeah something that war causes rather than just war itself it doesn't again it's, here's another way to say it and and forgive me for talking about um, uh, my own work for a second not but at all I'm more comfortable with that this. You know, the, the movie we're talking about here, Thank You for Your Services, is, is based on the second of two books I did over the past 10 years. And, and these books have basically been documents of, of a group of young men, infantry combat soldiers, who through just the turn of events uh, ended up going into, um, into the surge, 2007-2008, uh, into Iraq. Uh, when that war was presumed to have reached its, uh, its tragic moment. And so I wanted to go in that moment and, and write not a piece of art, just a, a document using fiction techniques, but a truthful, defensible book, sentence by sentence, about not about the Iraq War, not about the surge, not about the lost moment or the one moment, but what happens to a young man who goes into a war at such a moment. There are battle scenes in both books. There are combat scenes. There, there are injuries. There's loss of life. There's strategy. There's tactics. There's everything 
a war is. But at the heart of it, it's not a war book. It's, 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 it's a book, I hope, an unsentimental book about, about human beings at war. And that's, that's what I consider the great war movies. I learned something about being a human being, not so much about war. Now, I'm reminded, uh, we're speaking with David Finkel, I'm reminded of, uh, I worked for Mike Nichols briefly, and Mike would always say, a movie is about something and about something else. I love the fact that you're a reluctant artist, because, you know, you, you as you say, you know, you went in journalistically, but now about to release the film of uh, Thank You for Your Service. I want to look at this maybe around the edges a little bit. And this is something, again, I'm going to throw some movie people at you, but it's meant to kind of obscure a deeper point that I I recall it's it's an argument Kubrick you Stanley Kubrick again used to have with Francois Truffaut the French filmmaker Truffaut always maintained that war films and war art are irresponsible because film cinema or moving imagery preternaturally romanticizes the subject so to romanticize a war is a lukewarm at best proposition a dangerous proposition at worst. Where do you come down on that? Well, but what's the basis for that? Because I've seen, I mean, I, I think of the, the standard here, the first 20 minutes of Saving Private Ryan, right? Is that, that's, that's pretty unromantic yeah. uh, in sound, in imagery, in, in, in editing. Uh, it, it's, it's pretty close to the the bone of, 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 of what I've seen in combat and what I assume combat to be in, in, in other modern wars. There's no romance to those 20 minutes. Now, now maybe what follows that, some people would consider uh, a bit more romantic. I don't. I think it's great storytelling. But look at those minutes. There's, what is the romance there? So, so when you talk about what Truffaut might have said about all this. Uh, I'd like to know more about the basis for that. What was he referring to? I don't know if he was referring to a film or a trend. I think it was within the spate of films about Vietnam. I think this was the early 70s he quoted. I, I guess the more pedestrian follow-up is what, because I agree with you about Saving Private Ryan, Saving Private Ryan, it's a masterclass. I just saw Dunkirk, another sound masterclass, the first 10, 15 minutes. What do you think film, what do you think moving images or works of fiction get wrong then? What do you think is the gulf, pardon the pun, between what you experienced in 2007 and what any work of art can accurately portray? Or do you think it's just simply a different animal? The work of art is a different animal to be judged separate from its source. It's a really good question. And while you were asking it, I was thinking I actually want to, if you don't mind, I want to since you know so much more about film than I do, let me let me flip it back to you. What do you think makes a good war movie? I mean, you you know you know much more about film than I do. Uh, you've you've studied these things. So to you, uh, when you're watching a, a a film that has war in it or is about war, what's going on there? What makes it a good film for you? I'm happy to talk about my experiences in the translation of my book. But before I do that, I'm really curious about this. How dare you become a journalist in the middle of this? <laughs> um, I'm hanging up. No, it's a great question. And, and I will say a couple of brief notes because I don't want to kidnap any of our time together. But I, I think war as a genre is inherently 
uh, cinematic. Part of what you're saying about Saving Private Ryan, you know, it relies on the charisma of film. Because I think one thing that I would throw back to you is why hasn't television been a kind of celebrated container for war films in the way that cinema has? And I think one of the reasons why is when you step in the trance of a cinema or the seance of a cinema, you are in that in the in the in the thing itself and cinema at its best and war at its worst or best you're in that thing so it, you, you you know you're it's inescapable so what makes a good war film same thing that makes a good film you know a good war film is a, a film you think is a good film closer to the poetry of your question the inherent value of of a movie experience seems to be I don't I'm not trying to make a clunky comparison that being in a movie is like being in a war please don't mistake me but I think the inner meditation of a movie experience would appear to me and this is why I wanted you on the show I want to you to either validate or reject is there any verisimilitude between what you saw soldiers go through or maybe what you went through in any one moment do movies get it right did saving private ryan get it right i mean it's terrifying we can agree but did it get it right again i'm not deflecting i want to i want to understand one more thing about the Truffaut thing before before i try to give you an, an actual answer was was Truffaut's point that anytime something like war or war specifically hits the level of imagery that once it becomes an image, uh, a, a, a film image, at that point it automatically is romanticized. Is, is that what that quote was saying? I, I think you're locating it right on. I mean, I, I look at it, I, I would bring another genre as, of influence in to maybe sharpen this. If we look at a crime film in the French crime wave films or legion you know the danger he would surmise I mean, we can't do any talking for him but he would potentially surmise it 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 it's almost a it's almost a, a love letter to crime <laughs> you know uh, not every crime film is created equal so that's where his argument falls down right well so, so there's that's yeah. that's exactly the answer i was heading toward it's it's okay to generalize to say every war movie is that way or every movie war movie is this way or any movie or any story it's just not going to fly with me. It, it depends right. on the author of the book. It depends on the person making the movie. It depends on the director of the movie what, or the writer, what the intent is. Uh, I, I know in, in, in my own work, in those two books, uh, I mean, I, I wanted them to be interesting. I wanted them, uh, I wanted them to have stories. I wanted them to be uh, immersive for a reader, uh, but I also didn't want them to be romantic in any way or gooey or sentimental because that's, that's adopting a form of, of agenda in, 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 in my mind. And, and, and in my work, what's most critical to me is I want, you know, the books, the work I do, it's, it's, it's a type of journalism. It's immersive journalism. It's not where something has happened and you go in afterward and you do interviews to reconstruct the story of what happened. Nothing has happened. There's just an interesting moment underway that suggests a question that makes you get up and go somewhere and stay there until you have an answer to the question. So what I was saying earlier for the, for the first book, The Good Soldiers, here was the surge. Here was the tragic moment of the war, presumably. Off went a battalion of 800 soldiers into that tragic moment. I wanted to know what happens. What happens to a young man who goes into a war at such a moment? 
And I didn't have an answer yet. Uh, so these guys, I, 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 I was with them for eight months in, in a really lousy part of, 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 of Baghdad during some of the worst fighting of all and, and watched these young men go from naivety and invincibility into, into a far more mature version of that when they came home 15 months later. And by mature, I mean the, invisib the, the invincibility was just wiped right out of them because they lost a guy and then they lost another guy and another guy and there were injuries and, and, and they thought they were going to win the thing. And, and they came home far wiser and in many ways degraded by what had happened to them. That's not mm. a romantic story, but that's what happened or the story I chose to tell through reporting about what happened to some of these young men in this battalion. And then when they came home and it was clear to me that many of them, many of them were having all kinds of difficulties adjusting to what I call in the book, the afterwar, life afterward, uh, from divorces to fights to arrests to suicide attempts, on and on, all the things we're quite familiar with now, it became clear that there's a second half of the story to do. And if I'm such a crackerjack journalist, then, then <laughs> tell the second half of the story through the same techniques. Immersion reporting, living with these people back home in Kansas, various families for a year and a half until I had an answer to my question and a book to write and a story to tell. Um, they're not, so this is a long answer, but thanks for sticking with me. They're not first person books. There's no agenda. There's no opinion. It's their story. It's not my story. My job, as I see it, as an author, as a journalist, was to spend enough time with them so I could write a credible answer to a question as a piece of reporting and storytelling. That's my approach. There have been great books coming out of Iraq, out of Vietnam. You know, pick your war where people would scoff at my approach. One of my favorite books out of Vietnam by Philip Caputo, A Rumor of War, is, is, is at heart a memoir. Um, but it is a piece of reporting that is stunning as you can imagine. If you look at the things they carried by Tim O'Brien, which, which is on the fiction shelves, and it is fiction, but it's so immersed in, in his experience of reporting. Phil Clyde's short story collection, uh, uh, the same kind of thing. And so, so everyone has their approaches. This is a really long answer, but, but my particular <laughs> no, approach is to get to the heart of the thing, to stay long enough and tell a story that's defensible and true. Um, there's no inter well, it's not that there's no interpretation. I'm deciding what story to tell. Uh, but I'm deciding it by being present. And so, so when we move it to film, Rob, it's got to be the same thing. It's, there's no one type of film. It just depends on the person making the film. And the guy who made the film out of my book, Jason Hall, who wrote American Sniper, who wrote the script right. for Thank You Serv for Your Service, and then DreamWorks asked him to direct it, it is a slamming, crisp, tight movie. And at the end of awesome. it... I am as beaten up by what I've seen as, as I hope a reader is from my book. Now, that's, that's a creative interpretation of my book. It's fiction with some basis in fact. But, but here's a case where it's unsentimental. He gets it right. So, so, so what does that add up to? It's just a long way of saying I think it depends on the approach of the person doing the work. Speaking with David Finkel here on Murmur, there's so much there. And I was thinking of something uh, a colleague of yours uh, Annie Hall said um, about how long you lived with 
the story. You know, if we look if we look at the timeline, correct any of these facts, David. Um, as we go, 2007, 2008, eight months you're there with the 216. The Good Soldier comes out in 2009. Thank You for Your Service comes out 2013, which is the second book. Mm-hmm. So we want to look at this 10-year bubble in a sense of emotion, adding a new work based on these images and these ideas is like putting another log on the fire. Was there any apprehension? I mean, obviously, it was out of your jurisdiction. They they bought the title, DreamWorks bought it, and onward it went. But was there ever, did you ever want it to end? Did you ever want this all to end? You mean the, st- the movie part of it? Does the film simply remind you more? The, having a film now of it, is there any extended pain in that? Oh, my gosh, no. Look what I'm grateful for beside it. I, I got so lucky here. You know, I turned in a manuscript, and uh, and and as with all my work, uh, I, as a friend says, small but honorable, small but honorable. I expect to honor the story I'm trying to tell, with no expectation of no one is ever going to read these things. And <laughs> and I've been lucky that that the people have read these books. Somehow, uh, uh, they found a place. I turned in the manuscript for Thank You for Your Service, hoping a book would come out of it, and, uh, and the book did. And the book is selling well and continues to sell well. But then there were a couple of offers uh, from people who wanted to option it for movies, and, and some of the offers made me think, uh, if, I, if I take this offer, it's just, it's just a money grab because I would hope that these people would never, 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 never make a movie uh, because I, I, I didn't... I'd seen their work and I didn't admire yeah. it. Uh, different for DreamWorks and meeting Steven Spielberg. It was just a different thing entirely. And I thought, well, if I'm going to take a chance here, uh, this is who I want to surrender uh, my work to for creative interpretation. That I, I was pretty sure that Spielberg or whoever took it on in DreamWorks ultimately was not going to make a uh, cartoon where it's like the Flintstones and the Jetsons going to war or something like that. It was it was it was going to be a credible effort. A band of brothers, uh, pardon me, David, but band of brothers that Spielberg was under Spielberg's tutelage. Such a beautiful work, and I think we forget as we think of you know the golden age of TV. I think that's a series that actually is often left out undeservedly. I think it, that was a great contribution. So I can see how the, he would have elicited trust. I mean, obviously he's a master filmmaker. But you needed the right brushstroke, um, and it sounds like y- you have it. Well, he had read the manuscript. He, he he knew it. He had paid attention to it. He had ideas of, of of how it could translate because because the book I wrote, I think, stands up as as as, as a, a good book and and the rare piece of work I've done in my career that I have some pride in. Both these books, uh, I knew there could not be a movie that was my book. It it it. it it had to be creatively adopted somehow, and uh, and then what happened? Uh, it's it's. I remember, you know, I, I, I read several versions of the script uh, uh, while it was being written, and the first time I saw it, I kind of thought, well, all right, so that's how that's going to go, and good try. And uh, read a second version, which was a little bit better. Uh, uh, and then out of the blue uh, came the third version, and I read it and put it down and thought, no, that's a serious piece of writing. That is some gorgeous mm. storytelling there. Mm. And, uh, and that was kind of a thrilling moment to think that if this happened, at least it was going to be a based, on, based on a script that, that was, was a really, really strong 
beautiful piece of writing. The, the miracle of the book, and for those of you listening who haven't read, uh, thank you for your service and good soldiers, but I'll look at thank you for your service. It, it's remarkably agnostic, and that speaks to what you were saying, you know, and, and I think maybe that speaks to Truffaut in a sense that a film maybe cannot be agnostic because there's so many editorial choices being made, but obviously there are editorial choices in a book. But I want to... Well, of course yeah. there were. And, and the, I, was, I was saying the thing earlier about imagery because because so much of what I do is 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 I'm, I'm, I'm trying to write an image. I'm not... I'm trying to report an emotion and in many ways write write uh, a series of images. So So I like to think that... If you read my work, these the, these are not you know it's, it's 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 not information you're getting. It's there there was a review of I, I think it was the Good Soldiers in, in in the New York Times that it was this wonderful line that I'm now going to mangle, but it's something <laughs> like you can take this book off the shelf five years from now and reread it and think this is what happened and this is how it felt. And those are the two ends of the work I'm trying to do. Uh, yes, document what happened. And yes, document how it felt in an authentic way. And you put those things together and, uh, and you have something that you can sort of live with. It's gorgeous. A couple more thoughts. We're here generously with David Finkel, our intrepid, embedded reporter in Washington, D.C. We're, we're now giving him a new title uh, amongst his <laughs> others. Um, I want to throw a couple of science experiments at you because from a film's perspective, they were always so fascinating to me. And again, don't, don't get scared by the names. You're, you're not scared of anything. I get that. I just don't want you to think this is... I'm quite scared of everything, including flopping on this test well, right now. Well, you know... If you weren't scared, I'd be worried. That's what I tell my students. You know, in in the late 60s, uh, Francis Coppola wants to make a small film that would later become Apocalypse Now. I'm sure you've heard of it. Uh, See, this isn't so hard. Um, And and one of his first ideas was to shoot it in Vietnam during the war. And uh, George Lucas actually said, Francis, if you go over there, to use the word suck again, you're going to get sucked into the jungle. And aside from being probably colossally a bad idea, I always thought that idea was fascinating. And again, not to draw in the clunky, making a movie is like a military uh, military movement, but what do you, what does your, where does your mind go to when you think of a feature filmmaker trying to make a film amidst around a war mm-hmm. and frame it up maybe in a potential apocalypse now that was later made in the Philippines and we get that. But what do you make of that story of Coppola and Lucas and filming it there? Well, let me answer with, with, with two different films, if I might. Um, I remember after I had come back from uh, Iraq and... And really, it was a bad deployment, and uh, and and I came home um, pretty pretty rattled by the whole thing, and uh, um, and after after the book was published, um, you know, I, I'm going to get screwy on the timing, but but the Hurt Locker came out, and. Uh, and I just did not want to go see a film about people probably being blown up because I had just spent eight months both in explosions uh, personally and also uh, watching uh, uh, soldiers die from being blown up. So I didn't want to see this film. Uh, I just I, I, I couldn't summon the courage. And so I avoided it. And. Uh, I went to Australia to uh, do a book tour there of a few weeks. So that is one long flight, man. And when I'm coming back, uh, I had watched every film on the flight. Uh, we weren't even halfway, and the only one left was The Hurt Locker. 
And I thought, all right, so, so it's just going to be on the back of a seat. It's going to be a small image. It's that kind of tinny sounds through my bad earbuds. I think I can handle this. So I watched it. And, you know, I, I don't know what you think of the film. It's, 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 I, it's, it's, it's certainly lauded as a great film, and I guess it is. What, what was significant to me is how I admired it and I was unmoved by it ultimately. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I was moved by the story, but when bad things happened, it was not a big deal to me. Um, a couple weeks later, uh, I went to a screening, I think it was a couple weeks later, maybe a month or so, of, of Restrepo by Sebastian Younger and, uh, yeah. and Tim Hetherington, which is now, uh, which was filmed, uh, obviously in Afghanistan by those guys. Back row, eyes covered the whole time. I could barely watch it, and at the end, when it was over, I, I, I simply couldn't get my breath. And, and I guess... Uh, I guess to be obvious about it, the difference is it's, it's not just that one was done on site and one wasn't, but one was a piece of imagination and one, one was real. And, uh, and the tension where something's real and you care about characters and they exist, not, not just as a scripted character, but, but as, a, as a human being through beautiful filmmaking, you've come to uh, root for and adore and feel for, and you just don't know what's going to happen in the next frame. It was, uh, that film kind of messed me up for a while. That's a stunning um, remembrance I mean, on every level. I guess what I'm saying is that it, whether it's uh, technically, I guess it would have been a, a ridiculously hard to try to film that film in uh, in Vietnam beyond the technical aspects. It's uh, uh, my concern is where I am these days between fiction and nonfiction. And and there was a great Jeff Dyer piece in the guard. It, he's a wonderful writer and essayist and talk about a brilliant man. And uh, after The Good Soldiers came out uh, as part of a, he reviewed it, but it was part of a long, long piece in The Guardian, uh, just assessing the difference at this point uh, in art uh, war art between fiction and nonfiction, whether it's uh, a book or a film. And he was making the point where long ago it was fiction, uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, which came out 10 years after the uh, armistice and things like that. But, but because of the way nonfiction has evolved, both in storytelling in books and storytelling in movies, uh, we have kind of reached the point where nonfiction can be as powerful, more powerful, less dismissible than, than pieces of fiction. It was a really provocative, compelling essay. As we round off a little bit, and I know my homework is to read that essay, uh, maybe some more homework, and I've done this homework, and I don't know if you saw Netflix's uh, documentary, Five Came Back, which would... No. Now, this, this Do is... Do I want to watch that? Well, let me... I can't decide for you, but I can tell you a little bit of backstory, and, and it leads into one or two of the last sentiments here. It's a, it's a um, remembrance of five film Makers, five film directors who served uh, mm -hmm. Frank Capra, John Ford. John Ford was actually injured in the Battle of Midway, um, took on some shrapnel. John Huston, William Wyler, and George Stevens. And what's interesting about George Stevens, two things, and, and I promised and I'll, I'll leave it to you. Stevens, before he went filmed in the Second World War, was making essentially comedies, mm -hmm. <laughs> essentially blithe, lithe comedies. And when he came back, his whole oeuvre 
changed. Uh, he made A Place in the Sun. He made I Remember Mama, Shane, The Diary of Anne Frank. Actually, Stevens recorded some of the initial documentary images of the liberation of uh, Dakar. By happenstance, deliberately? He wasn't deployed to film that. I guess the part of, of that documentary is these are men that were hired by the government narrative filmmakers, narrative pedigreed filmmakers, to capture images of war. And someone like Capra was actually reviled because a lot of people said, you know, you're making you're making propaganda film. Some people think naturally film is a form of propaganda, and we can go through that. You know, Mussolini essentially built Chinichita. Political mm-hmm. movements have relied on moving images, right. the pathology of them. What about the notion of traditionally narrative filmmakers capturing documentary images. What would the, what do you think that Frankenstein monster would be like? Oh, what, I don't is, think it would be bad. It, it doesn't have to be bad at all, right? It's 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 uh, when I so again thinking of the writing equivalent, I, uh, some of the 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 strongest uh nonfiction I've read uh, uh has been written by by novelists uh, who who um who find themselves wanting to write perhaps a magazine piece. About something going on, and 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 the nonfiction is it's transporting and memorable. And you know, sometimes in some cases, I guess I'm a good enough reporter at this point where I can see holes and I can see where holes are filled by agenda, uh, and then I'm more likely to dismiss that. But when somebody who understands writing to that a, a sentence level I could never achieve goes in and turns that kind of attention on something unfolding in front of them, uh, I think the results can be beautiful. Last question. What is the ask of you before you choose to see a movie with war images? Is seeing a documentary a considered decision more so than a narrative work related to art? Is there a pregnant moment of, do I really want to see this movie? Because you simply asked me, and it was tongue-in-cheek, am I going to want to see this film you're referencing? Do you do you have that moment, that sort of moment before you choose to see a work of art, or even read a work of a, a literature based in war? Well, sure. And it, 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 it's just not specific to war. I, I have such a, an aversion to... Um, Violence at this point, and uh, uh, because because of my experience as as, as a reader, uh, 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 a close reader, and someone who goes to a lot of movies, um, the a lot of people who are giving me violence to watch really don't understand violence, except in my mind, some some uh, some romanticized ways, uh, meaning that. That for my taste, it goes too far. It lasts too long. Uh, it reaches the l- level of being uh, gratuitous, and 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 to me, I just I've had enough of it. I don't want to see it. Uh, if if I I I don't mind it when it's done in a way that enlarges uh, the deeper story I'm interested in, but. But uh, I, I do find myself kind of shying away more and more from um, from uh, uh, over-the-top imagery, uh, uh, violent imagery especially, uh, and and of course in in war movies. What, what as well. about the news? Well, what not about? much choice there, right? But uh, but but you know, unless I, I'm not I'm not going to jump and just for the hell of it watch uh, beheading videos. I'm 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 
I'm, I'm not just going to click on things just to watch one more fist fight uh, or, or one more car crash with a bloody victim or et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I'll do it for my job, uh, and I'll do it willingly, and I'll do it in slow motion and, and learn everything I need to learn so I can, I can do my job better. But, but I don't know. I mean, think of me what you will. It, it, it may not be a kind thought in your mind, but, but the older I get, the less interested I am in violence as the source of conflict and tension that I want to read about or report about. Well, I could tell you what I think of you. I think you're incredibly brave, uh, and I want to firmly grasp the obvious in our goodbye. Thank you for your service. The next time I see you, and look, I was going to start this conversation with what's new in Washington, but I I know the chat could only last a half an hour. (laughs) So to to be continued, thank you so much for joining us. We wish you the best, and if I can ever be of help to you, please let me know. Well, thank you very much, Rob. Be well, David. Don't worry, we'll have this place cleaned up and ready for us in the Jimmy Saw. Don't you worry. Big up six, this is Sub 13. The gentry in by now, there you got about 30 seconds on station. Get your people back and head down. This is going to be a big one. I always love how uh, Duval kind of trails off there. That's the end of the sentence. Someday this war is going to end. You, people, and you may, <laughs> listening to this, you may think that uh, talk format, whether it's radio or podcasting, is too long to go deep dive. And you, you may be right or wrong. Of course you're right or wrong. I love it, obviously. But when I tell you I could only scratch the surface and there were so many things I wanted to get deeper into and David is so sensitive and thoughtful and and deferential and but anyway wow <laughs> what a what a what a monolith to unpack I want to cherry pick a couple of thoughts in our closing here uh I I you know he pressed me on what is a good war film I started with what is a war film he hit the tennis ball back to me what is a good war film and and indubitably it's as I said, a good war film is a good film, and a good film is a film you think is good. But I wanted to, it did jog my mind a little bit, and I didn't mean to, I don't like to get into titles on this show. I like to get into craft versus taste. But, you know, I was thinking about films, war films, or films that have war again. You know, I mentioned Godfather earlier on and Godfather 2, but I think one of my one of the most some of the most interesting inclusions of war the good the bad the ugly 
is a fascinating inclusion of the Civil War. Essentially, the real stupid <laughs> recap of the film is at a certain point, well, two thirds, three fourths of the film is is Lee Van Cleef and Eli Wallach and Eastwood, and they're chasing each other. And there's a really fascinating moment where Van Cleef is bear, bearing down on Eastwood, and you know there are bombs going off, and there are, there are soldiers, there are Civil War soldiers, and even before that scene, there's there are multiple scenes, but one of the most extraordinary scenes is. During the chase, during the cat and mouse of it all, Van Cleef sees a dying soldier and tends to him. And it's fascinating. And I was, and it's touching. And I was thinking about something David said about literature that works between fiction and nonfiction. And I think that's precisely why war films or war as a subject in a film is so nourishing to me as a viewer, as a, as a cinema person in the sense that I love the unique qualities of movies and that's it. It sits between fiction and nonfiction. He said it perfectly. Words, a word he was using earlier on, immersive. He called himself an immersive journalist. Cinema being optimally immersive. War cinema being the immersive uh, the apogee of uh, immersion. So I think that is that's the vortex of it all. Now David was being very deferential to my knowledge of movies, and I appreciate that. <laughs> and I don't know if I agree with it, but I appreciate it. The Good, the bad, the ugly. Other f- titles that came up for me: Deer Hunter. Yeah, we forget. You know, it's funny. We think of the Russian roulette scene in Deer Hunter. That was a <laughs> the Vietnam War. We don't think of that as oh the Vietnam War moment. That's the Russian roulette moment, but obviously, uh, Walken and De Niro went off to war, and set John Savage, and uh, they went off to war, and they became prisoners of war. Um, another one I was thinking of right near the end, and I didn't want to get too intellectual with literature or too refined because it would have again. That's another conversation, but Shakespeare and the reason. Uh, how I got to Shakespeare, a new sitcom on CBS. How I got to Shakespeare. How I how I met how I met your mother. How I met Shakespeare. No, but how I get to Shakespeare is I was thinking of the Kurosawa films, Ran and Throne of Blood. Ran is yeah, again, it's 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 tribes, it's it's um, kingdoms, it's dynasties moving in against one another. As is Throne of Blood. Now those two films. Ran and Throne of Blood, respectively, are um, King Lear and Macbeth, respectively. But we don't think of those as war films. We barely think, we don't even think of those as Shakespeare adaptations. And that's the, I think, the victory of it. <laughs> to use Duval, the victory of it all. Uh, so, f- cinema at best to me, sits between fiction and nonfiction. It always has to my ruination and to my advantage <laughs> as I matriculate through life or attempt to. So war does that. War films to me highlight that. Now we all another element of this, we didn't quite get into the gender piece of it. I've heard from friends and acquaintances and colleagues that war is a typically masculine genre and it's funny did that great philosopher King Alec Baldwin once said once talked about the fact that filming a movie uh, 
is he called it a paramilitary it's a paramil it has a paramilitaristic nature and that's why they call it shooting and they they talk in terms of units first unit second unit they communicate in terms of walkie talkies again different conversation different day alec email us murmurradio at gmail.com uh we will have you on and we could talk about the paramilitaristic nature until then uh, we will meditate on it privately. We want to thank David Finkel for being with us today. Uh, David has been um, a really incredible tour guide through all this uh, for us, and we want to thank him once again for being here. WHUPFM.org every Friday, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on your internet. MurmurRadio.com is the website at msf murmur social handles follow us download us google play itunes stitcher i'm gonna make this a mnemonic learning device for you all email us at murmurradio at gmail.com this was amazing we should have david back maybe we will see you soon